So um, I was watching this film about a chief curator of a uh, modern and contemporary art museum. And um, the film was dealing with many things about the intellectual side to the human being about, and also about their activistic side. Um, but it was also um, having a lot of fun about um, the artworks in this museum and and also the money that's associated with the with the art and it was questioning it and it was a parody um and it's funny because it's only since doing making art that my response now to this film is not to laugh out loud <laughs> um i think there is something uh going on in me that says oh I feel so misunderstood. Um, I just wonder if that's a human condition that being misunderstood. I think the people who who just find this art absurd and nonsensical also feel misunderstood. And the people who are making this art, who appreciate this art, also feel misunderstood. It's just a whole pile of feeling misunderstood. Um, which is why I love talking about this, because I just... I feel really committed to this idea that if you could just explain what happens, because um, it's such a recent birth for me, such a recent emergence into this whole world, and I can zoom out and see my progression, I can see the evolution, and I feel like I can explain why you start going into these areas that seem so opaque, so nonsensical. Um, why would you put that out uh, and call it art? Um, and I love talking. I love talking about um, what's going on. It's it's a it's like an it's communicating is like an is an art form that's come out that's that is come out of an art as as a meta art it's like it's i talk to myself when i'm i'm making it um i like to observe myself making it and and note what's going on that's that's exciting and i think that actually that is the substance of the thing that it's actually the experience of making it that what you're seeing at the end, what the final, when you've decided, you know, that's it, okay, I've finished with that, now I'm going to send it out into the world, or I just know that that's complete. However you come to that stage, it is the experience of making it that is the real meal, the real point of it, the point of it. And you want to show people because you you just want to show them what you cannot show, which was what it was like to make that or what it was like to arrive at that. Um, and it this is and it's a difficult thing because so much thought and um, 
and experimentation can go into into um, into something. It maybe a series, for example, of paintings. You're so you're you're starting with an idea, and then you you're maybe developing it and doing variations on a theme, just to see what happens with that. Um, and so. I want to find the language to explain what is going on in your mind, why why that happens. And my experience of the art world is not not uh, there are not many artists want to do that I, because I think they are so immersed in a nonverbal world. They are immersed in in a language which is not about words. They're communicating in a way that is not about words. They're communicating with materials, with construction, um, with space, with uh, on so many with so many things. And I think they're often forced into having to come up with a language if they're doing an exhibition to give an in into what they're doing and it often can be uh, what seems a very obtuse language, very um, coded, mysterious, because they're just in a way communicating with each other in a, in a sort of received language that will, that will cover all eventualities. And that's why it seems that the language gets very repetitious because this film that I watched was sort of mocking that language that it, what on earth does that mean? This, um, this chief curator has to come up with an explanation of, of a language that seems so obscure and so enigmatic and so nonsensical. Um, but it's when you're trying to put words to something that, that doesn't, that doesn't have words, that is better off explained within the picture, which is why, or the object, which is why some people just leave it out altogether. Um, but I'm fascinated by this idea of, of going to the experience of making, to the process of making it, and that's also a word that I see a lot, that this was process-driven or my process. And what does that mean? Um, but I think that this is what I'm seeing in, in art now and what I'm experiencing is that it, the, the, the focus has shifted off making an object for somebody to see a rendering of a landscape or a likeness of a person um, that is either means a lot to them in terms of their celebrity or their, you know, their, their hierarchy or, or just a beloved one, or um, someone from another country, you know, why, why we love portraits so much, and why historically they've meant so much to us. But how, in moving away from that, and even from the idea of, um, of presenting pattern, because, of course, I'm talking about figurative and landscape, which is a Western notion, but... Um, there is also the idea of, of, of pattern, um, which has all sorts of um, reverberances and connotations and meanings um, and a language of its own in the East. And I think we weren't so divided at that point. But um, 
This is also a point that I felt I came to myself when I was talking about the fork in the road earlier about how in um, when you start when I started out drawing, I was doing people objects, and then I was searching for something else that was was not that. Um, and I talked about whether it was going to be, uh, was I going to do landscape as I was exploring from my imagination and doing this drawing or painting? Was it going to be turned into a person? I didn't know. But there was also, was it going to become a pattern? Um, and I thought, so that was a third element that I didn't mention, where I wanted to not, to do something that wasn't conspicuously a pattern that you could identify a repeated pattern or, or a pattern, something that existed out, outside of that altogether. And, and pattern, um, an ornamentation, is a, is a very, very um, interesting idea because it's to do with uh, geometry. Um, going in all these directions, there's so much I want to say um, about geometry and how I've seen, um, how I think that that's something so uh, in, interior to us, so, so natural in terms of, and I've talked about this before, about how you position your, where you are on, on, the, on the ground, on the earth, where you are relative to your environment. Um, and, uh, but I think the way that I did it um, to try and not go down any of those roads of pattern, landscape, human or animal, anything familiar, was to go into color, was to, to, to let the color be it, let the color des decide. And that's when um, I started to understand that there was, as I was just, uh, um, I felt like I was, I felt like I was almost swimming in color. I felt so, my head was so full of color. And starting out just very, very simply with um, getting colors straight out of a bottle and putting them into compartments and then just looking at them all laid out. I wasn't mixing or blending. Just starting out very, very simply like notes in a scale. These are the notes. Uh, now, which one am I going to choose? Which one shall I just pick out? Picking out that first color and then just applying it with a brush onto a page and then just moving the color around and seeing what would happen. And I was doing that so much that I felt like I was having, that there was a language of color. I, I understood what, what it was meant by the language of color. Now that's one of those phrases that you might see and just think uh, in a gallery or, and this is what this film was laughing at, that sort of language, but I want to just try and explain what that means from the inside out and that part of the problem is that we stop playing with color in that sense of, of, of painting and, and making stuff with color so early on in our lives and we don't develop it on and um, of course we we deal with color all the time we, cho we choose all of us unless you're colorblind and that would be very interesting to talk to somebody who's colorblind I'd love to do that and see 
what whether is are there choices made on through texture or you know how do they uh, decide if it's not based on color how do you make your decisions in terms of your you know your interiors or what you, what you're living with um I mean, if they were really left to their own devices, that would be, sorry, I'm just going off on that. That would be so fascinating if you just said, you know, just choose if it was a pattern. And then you could go in and there would just be this cacophony of colour because <laughs> there wouldn't be any sense of, uh, that would be so interesting. Mm, I feel like something's, something else is coming up. Another, another project could come out of that. That would be so interesting. I wonder if that happens very often. There's usually a partner who probably sort of reins them in. But anyway, you get my feeling, you get my drift about, um, you, we always choose color what, and what, what we wear. Even if it's all black, it's still a, it's still a choice. And that's a wonderful choice. Um, because I have, I, have, I, have a, I know that I have a very contrasted sense, um, black and white. Many things that I've done are black and white, whether it's sketches or my film, um, was uh, was black and white, and then it burst into color. Um, I have a very sen a great sense of the separation of things that are black and white that go together, and then things that are just radiant, mind-boggling, overwhelming color, very bright as well. So that's an internal. That's a thing that I have about color that I've. Uh, that has come out, that I've watched. So that's my language. I also have, um, looking at my paintings, it's very obvious that I have um, uh, a, a palette that I go towards. Um, I go to red. i uh, always loved red ever since I was a kid. And of course, there's all sorts of meanings about color. Um, if, you, if you know about that, uh, some people know about this, what but about what what color represents, um, and uh, in terms of say red is often is, is blood, sexuality, fire, you know, represented in in that sense, and that that I think comes from um, Eastern ideas about color. But then also no 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 that also it comes from every, from the uh, from the West as well. Anyway, so there's that. So I have a color. I like uh, color palettes like uh, golds and silvers, I like metallics, um, iridescence, uh, shine. And um, that's just carried on right the way from being a kid, just shiny stuff. <laughs> um, and I'm very conscious of that in what I choose with the colors is just to, to, to do that. If that's what I love, I'm not gonna not do it. Um, they are candy colors. Their colors are sweets, confectionery. Um, it's also a feeling of um, being a, a contrast with what I grew up with uh, in Britain, where our colors are muted. There's a lot of rain. It's the weather, the landscape. Um, it's a very, very lush green, and that I knew from coming back from the States, that the green, actually, having said it's muted, the green of the grass, because it's there's so much rain, it's so lush, it's so vivid, that I found it quite dazzling um, after living in California. Um, so much of it. 
Um, but yes, there's often like now there's a sort of a cloud and the tree which is grey and whites and also there's all sorts of metallic colours in that, silvers and then the trees are browns, dark, a lot of dark greens, dark colours and if you look at what we wear in this country it's um, it's often very muted, very sort of blended colours, the idea of being out in nature and that you're not going to just jump out with bright colours. Um, but I, um, when I was a teenager, I, I wore reds and uh, greens and I liked highly contrasted colours. I've always liked colour. And then going and living in California with the sun, that dials, dials it up. And having come back to live in, um, in Britain, I've retained that. Um, I think it's just a way of uh, holding on to the sun um, and the light and the sheer pleasure of of colour. I, I remember growing up, sort of, uh, our feelings about Americans as British people, and this was sort of, this came out from the Second World War, is that they always wore bright colours, that they were brash, they were gaudy. This is the 40s, 50s and 60s. But it's living in California um, with that amount of sun. There is it's a it's a freedom and a pleasure, and that's why you get all these a lot of Hawaiian shirts or, or brightly colored shirts over there, and the men the men wear. And it's fun. It really is fun, and it's that's just an example where 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 cultures don't understand each other because we we respond so much to the weather and our environment, and. Um, so there's that, colour, colour, colour. So what is, how does, how do you get a colour, a language of colour? Well, um, I think it's when you're, when you, for example, if you just, if you have a palette of colours in front of you and you choose one colour, you put that on a flat surface, just take this as an example, a page, because you can do this in sculpture, you can do this in music, you can do this everywhere. You can do it with words. It, you start off with one, and then what what occurs to me is, what what do I do next? As soon as you put a second color on there, and we're not even talking about the shape or the form of what these colors are. We're just we're just um, putting some color down. You add a second color. They now have a relationship with each other. And there is a there is a an energy between those two colors. It's to do with the color palette. There are there are technical aspects to this about whether they are complementary, whether they're the same tone, where they are on the spectrum, is what that is about, and how the human eye sees this color and how it responds to color. Well, in fact, it is creating the colour. Anyway, not to get too technical about this, about what colour is, but this this is a part. This is on the continuum of of what colour is. So, um, I like to try and disturb a sense of harmony in the colours that I choose. I like the I like contrast, as I said. But I also like to, 
but sometimes colors of the same tone that wouldn't seem compatible I like to put together. Or if I'm looking at what I've created and now I've got two, three, four, five colors on there, I look at that and I want to create the odd man out, which is a theme that goes right the way through. Um, an element that uh, disturbs, disrupts harmony or uniformity that almost has a sets a chemical reaction in motion and this becomes a, a, a and there and sometimes what happens this becomes a theme and as Gosh, it's so difficult to get the words. This becomes a, pa a, a, a like a like a musical scale where you're putting dissonance in, um, and then maybe you feel you've put too much dissonance in, and so you want to introduce some other colors. It's a very, it's quite becomes quite complex. It's quite a symphony, quite a musical piece of putting these colors and where you put them, what their relationship is with with each other. Do you put them far away? So you make the eye go over there and go back to a color. I mean, there are colors that appeal. If you look at children's paintings, um, there are certain colors that appeal. They're, of, they're often bright. Um, they're often contrasted. Um, so having set that up to say, well, this is fun, how can I put some discordancy in there? So there are many, many ways that you can go with color. And the more you keep doing this, and I can see this in other artists, um, for example, an artist might put stripes of color. And so the whole piece is just involved in stripes of color, no uh, gaps between them, for example. And so what does, what happens to your, to those colors, if you stand far back, do they blend? What pops out? What doesn't pop out? And this experience is actually very subjective because I think that we gravitate to certain colors that we like or combinations that we like. I have a combination um, of yellow and blue, which I think goes back to a wallpaper I had when I was a kid and I'd had and I was ill in bed, and I used to stare at this, uh, these colors. So I think that that color is quite in, in, embedded in me. Of course, it's sky and sun. Um, it's also a very sort of innocent combination. Um, there are many combinations that I love. And then I want to put other elements in that might muddle it or make it harder to like blending them. So then you get layers of what colors do over each other. I don't, I don't, I don't mix so far. I don't mix my colors outside. I just squeeze them from the tube. They just come straight from the tube. And then it's just the pleasure. I mean, there's, and there's a lot of different colors that come from the tube. I mean, once you get off um, the basics, say if you're just using what I started out was using children's poster paints. You get what you're given. 
And then when you when I moved into acrylics, there were all I remember just going to this enormous um, shop with all these different kinds of colors, and they had all these names, and I had to get familiar with them. And, I, and now I know them. I know what they are. I know how what they look like. I know what they're like in combinations. And it's these so it's these combinations where you develop a personal language of color. You know that they have a more objective language, which is the names that they're given. That's come down, um, and we'd have to go into the history of how that happened and who started that off and why they did it and where they were made from. But I'm not. I'm not getting into those. I'm just um, going uh, to to my experience of colors. I like indigo. I like lemon yellow. I like bright yellows, certain colors. Um, I just, I no, I just can't like that. That has too much blue in it, that red. Too much blue, it's got to have, um, and by that I mean it's a, it's, a, it's a red going, moving towards the blue end of the spectrum, whereas can, reds can go towards the yellow or orange end of the spectrum. So there are so many. And um, it is a scale. If I think about, I was thinking about how you could really subdivide all these 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 tones of these colors in the way that you don't have to deal with the pentatonic scale or the twelve tone scale. You could go in in music. Um, but uh, yeah, when I sit down and I've got all my colors and I've I've grouped them all and I have a particular tray that I've got them all in. I just know where I'm going. I know uh, what I like to do, and then I just rouse myself out of a certain habits and I think well how about that one because I've got so many you haven't used that in a while what does that do um but it's like uh certain chords that I gravitate to or chord progressions that's just sort of inbuilt so it is a language it's a very personal language and it is a language of color it's And it's, it's, it's a way that your eye moves between the colors. And when you're making paintings, you I'm very conscious of doing that more than when I'm just entering a room, a room I've not been into before and I'm looking. Um, well, actually that's become enhanced because of d dealing with color. Um, that I will look at colors in in the world um, in a different way because of that. It's a sensitizing relationship with color. When you're just squeezing it out all the time and you're putting different combinations together and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I keep doing this combination for a while. What if I do and let's try another combination and see what happens and see where my eye is taken and see uh, where there's depth or where... Um, it's questioning, I'm also realizing, because I'm looking at one of my paintings on the wall here, it's also questioning what is ugly and what is beautiful. That's a big um, idea going through my mind of, you know, are there, you see this in fashion a lot, of putting what would be called ugly colors or ugly, ugly patterns together in ways that are exciting. Why are they ugly? It's just 
it is the rules. It's just because the fashion rules or the aesthetic rules of painting say that these colors are right for each other. Those are the elite color combinations. These are not. Those are refined. These are crude. And of course, what's fun is to subvert all of that and say, actually, not anymore. Crude colors have a primacy. Um, you just keep reinventing the rules. You just keep breaking them. You create, you reinvent the grammar all the time. And that goes for patterns as well and pattern combinations. To why do that? It's to sensitize the, the viewer, sensitize the maker, is to not ever get into habitual, complacent or stagnant areas of what is beautiful and what isn't. I think that's what, inter that's what in is interesting. And, uh, you know, there can be harmonic, uh, dominating, uh, uh, dominating ideas of what is harmonically beautiful and what is harmonically not. And that's the same with, same with colors, is to try and play with that and subvert it and do the unpredictable, search for the unpredictable. So, if you come across ideas of the language of color, or you see that phrase, I hope that that has brought it to life and given an insider's view of how a language develops, that language develops through being submersed in it like a child learns language. And that by doing it, by playing with color, you will develop your own language. You'll find out what interests you about your color palette, what, what you like to play with. Um, and then you can um, question whether you're just habitually doing that all the time and you can even try and do do the opposite of that which is something I was thinking about doing myself okay the language of color <laughs>